0: Shareable is part of C Suite Radio. The guest becomes the host, and the host becomes the guest. This segment is called Now You Do Me.
1: Don't make it weird. Hey everyone, I'm Lynette Young, and I'm the flippa host for Shareable. Make sure you tune in and subscribe because I have a lot of really super great questions for my guest today, Jeff Gibbard. All right. So Jeff, here's the deal. I The first thing I'd like to do with you is word association. Are you ready?
0: Oh my God. This is so much fun. Go.
1: Dude, I'm totally waking you up. So I'm going to say a bunch of words and you're going to tell me the very first thing that pops in your head.
0: God, I hope this doesn't get embarrassing. Go.
1: I hope it does. Pain. Threshold. Profits. Pain. <laughs> People.
0: Uh, pleaser. Passion.
1: Projects. Hmm. Process. Improvements. Promotion. Content. Perception. Reality. Perseverance. Hustle. Really? You are all right. You're the king of hustle. You really are.
0: (laughs) I think Gary V would take issue with that, but I'll take it. It's a word that I, I strive not to use too much, but it was the first one that came to my head.
1: Yeah. Some things are kind of a little, they feel like back in the day they were cool, but now they're overused.
0: Yeah. It's like conversation, relationship, engagement, like all those words, like they're still so important, but like, ah, why'd you all have to ruin it?
1: Yeah. (laughs) All right. So you and I are professional speakers and we know a lot of the same people and we've spoken at a lot of the same industry type places. So I'm curious on hearing a bit more about your evolution and your future As a professional speaker, I think you're amazing. You've always got – I see, I'm old, so I don't remember, but your sneakers are red. Are they Pumas?
0: Yeah, I wear red Pumas.
1: Right? So you got the thing. Like, I always know, right? So your sneakers. Um, But that's something that visually identifies you on stage, but your stage presence and your content is always – very gripping. For as many times as I've seen you speak, um, you're one of the speakers that I love the most. I think you have a lot of ability to grab someone's attention, hold it, and kind of thrash them around the stage a bit. Um, so let me know. Tell me what's going on with your speaking. What are you interested in doing? Who 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 wants you? Who needs you? Who should be needing you?
0: That's it's a great question. Um, and thank you for the uh, the compliments as well. I uh, lots of love there. Um, so. I love public speaking like it's so I I love working with clients. I love writing. I love podcasting. But like there is nothing, nothing that gets me going like public speaking. And it's probably because I'm an only child. I don't know. But I think for me, it's it's just the most natural fun that I get to have. Um, And I and I love putting together the presentation and trying to build in these moments of surprise A little bit of shock and awe, but in like a playful clever way so you know I've been working in this quote by Avinash into the beginning of a couple of my uh, talks where I say uh, social media is a lot like teen sex everybody wants to have it and once they're done they're uh, surprised it's not better and like the entire audience just sits up straight and I'm like yeah I got you I have this picture of me when I was a baby there's this picture of me when I was like not even a year old yet I don't think and I'm like uh I'm like crawling over all over this girl, Wendy, that was born like the day before me. We've been friends our entire lives. And there's a picture of me crawling all over her and like trying to pull her top off. And I was and and I use it as um as a way of saying like the problem with social media is that everybody's in a hurry. And I was like, look at me up there. I'm just like not even a year old and I'm I'm after it already. So I try to build in these moments of like catching people off guard so that they they have to pay attention throughout the whole thing. Or else they might miss something. They might miss the joke. They might miss the uh, the moment that people will be talking about. Um, the The challenge is that I feel like in running an agency, it's so hard to find the time to work on myself and my own brand and find those opportunities. And even though, you know, virtually every conference I've ever spoken at, if I if I have any reasonable amount of time to put together a presentation. Um, it goes really well, and people are really—they love it. And I—I I think I have a way of breaking down information into simple, digestible, actionable chunks. But in spite of that, in spite of the rave reviews I've gotten, in spite of the fact that it's equal parts entertaining and educational, um, and I, I bridge simplicity with complexity, I've—I've um, I've had a really hard time getting the quote-unquote speaker career going, and. One of the things I'd love to do is be able to invest in my speaking career and, and take something like heroic public speaking with Michael Port um, and really hone my craft. But the problem is, is that I don't have the additional capital to do something like that, number one. And number two, I know a big portion of becoming a better speaker is taking that time to rehearse and to really uh, get get it so well crafted and well oiled that it becomes a performance. And while I think I'm capable of that, I, I often find myself not having the time to do that amongst everything else. So that's kind of where I am in it right now. My goal is to is to really take on more paid speaking engagements, but you know, the flip side of that is that I kind of do that at the expense of getting in front of people for free to a certain extent. You know, I haven't looked for as many of those. And that used to be how a lot of people knew me. I was the guy on stage with red sneakers that was really funny and who gave a really great presentation that they could actually understand. So I'm, I'm kind of at an impasse at the moment, I guess, is where I'm, where I'm at.
1: Well, thinking forward, like what's, what's the best kind of stage? Who are the, who's the best audience for you to be in front of?
0: For me, honestly, it's like the bigger, the better, because I feed off of the energy. Like I just, I eat it up. So, you know, the times where I've had a room of like a hundred people or 200 people is like, that's like the happiest I think I am on like on planet earth. Um, So I love the big crowds. The thing that I like most, and it's, you know, I know, you know, when you have those things where you're like, oh, I know the right answer, but I'm just not doing it. It's like one of those things. I, I've spent the majority of my career speaking at social media events. And I think that social media events are just downright stupid most of the time because we're not covering any new ground, especially for our peers. Like there's 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 maybe like five things that I could tell you that you'd be like, whoa. And there's probably about five or ten things that you could tell me that I'd be like, whoa. But m- mostly we have a lot of the same skill set. We've come through the ranks together and like the smart marketers in this space kind of know what each other know. So I've spent way too much time kind of shouting into my own echo chamber where really where I need to be is I need to be speaking at industry conferences, things like a real estate conference or um, you know, a finance conference or a healthcare conference or places where these are people with an expertise outside of my own so that when I bring my expertise in, it's new and it's novel and it can actually advance the ball. Because at the end of the day, what I want my speaking to do um, is similar to how someone like a Tony Robbins wants to motivate people. And wants to inspire them to lead an amazing life. I want to inspire businesses to do it better. I want them to understand and appreciate how important these technologies are. Not just so that they can make more money, but so that they can make money in a way that makes everyone feel better. Mm. Does that makes sense? You know what I mean? Like I, I feel like there's a bigger purpose to using social in business than just because you can sell more junk.
1: Yes, I completely agree with you on that. So I'm wondering like, you know, there's all kinds of niche type industries out there. So a couple months ago, I stumbled across a, and I'm not going to remember the name exactly, it was basically a national. Maybe it was International Association for Bowling Alley Owners. I mean, there's this stuff is niche down hardcore. Like, if you could think of any fun industry, like just pie in the sky, maybe it doesn't even exist, like, who would you like to be talking to? You Uh, want to talk to a bowling industry or you want to talk to all the writers from the DC Marvel or DC or Marvel? And like, where do you want to talk to?
0: It's funny. That's where like my mind immediately went. It was like something comic related. But like, so, so my interests, um, you know, I think it's it's one of those things where whenever I think about things that I'm really personally invested in and interested in, um, it's hard for me to think about how I would advise them in social because I'm so close to it. So, like for instance, I follow so much superhero comic book junk online, whether it's <laughs> Pinterest boards or Instagram accounts or, you know, Facebook accounts that tell me about the latest insider scoop about what's happening on Spider-Man homecoming or whatever. But then I think like, what would I actually tell them to do? And like, I kind of hit like a roadblock. I find really where I work the best is I almost like to work in something where it seems like an impossible challenge to fit social here. So like I, I basically cut my teeth in social working with companies that almost had no business being there or, or most people would think don't make sense. So highly regulated industries, finance, healthcare, law, pharma. And I I know it's terrible, right? But there's some about it that I kind of like because the thought of it is like, these are generally people and companies that are just terrible at it and they're boring and they just, they don't get about like actually connecting with people. And, and just trying to be a helpful resource for them so that when people are at the point of need and they want to buy that they think of those people and, um, and and that doesn't exactly work for healthcare so much i'm thinking more in finance but those are areas where i think i could i guess i just see the greatest net gain in working in an area that is inherently not social and making it social and and thinking again outside of just marketing but how do you recruit how do you find people online. I mean, you could treat it like a marketing program, right? So let's say you work for a hospital. Why should somebody come and work there? Well, you make a video and you do an entire campaign that you run Facebook ads targeted towards young medical professionals that live in a, a reasonable area uh, that, that you might want to bring on board. I think about things like that, and I'm like, that's just such an interesting project and, and such a potential big net gain. that I think that's the stuff that really excites me. But the bowling alley thing sounds cool as hell because it's super niche.
1: I totally wanted it. And then I was like, spent a whole afternoon in a rabbit hole of looking up, like, wow, like, look at all this bowling alley stuff and it was actually pretty cool so now i'm on the hunt for like a really crazy quirky type conference that i might want to just like go to or something like that but you know i'm really surprised i'll be honest with you that you picked some of the most unsexy social industries that you'd be interested in working with now me part half of what i do or three quarters of what i do is um the, on the insurance uh, advocacy side, on the homeowner side or property owner side, we have software for them. Um, but, and it's, uh, it's not a regulated industry. It's not compliance-based industry that my customers that we serve. So thank, cause I don't even know if I would have done it had it been then because I live in New Jersey and it's like finance pharma at, you know, like that's our whole thing here. Um, and it scares me because it's very dry. It's very boring. And you are like, Mr. Social Sexy, like everything for you, you're very, but on a personal level, what you do for clients is different. It's obviously applicable to however they need to be portrayed. But the fact that you're bringing up things that, you know, for, you know, talent acquisition and things like that is things that are out of the box that they, you know, net, people don't necessarily think of social always, I, I think still people are looking for um, lead generation, you know, or sale, you know, and it's not that. It it never panned out to be the social, didn't pan out to be the great, you know, lead gen that people thought was hoping it was going to be. Um, But, you know, you see things in a different way and that it's, I really like this because who you are personally in, even personally slash professionally as, as yourself is one thing, but you're so adaptable to doing and being what your clients need to make them the best that they can be and not just taking your brand of, 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 of social, Uh, and kind of putting it on them. So I'm really glad you said that. that.
0: (laughs) Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. I I mean, I, um, recently somebody was asking me about, uh, if there's any verticals that my company serves. And I was like, I know that the smart thing is for me to find several verticals and just, Just work them, right? But I just, I love the fact that right now we're working with a medical malpractice insurance company. We're working with a cannabis conference and we're working with a women's clothing maker among several others. But those could not be more different from one another. But I love working with each and every one of them because each of them present a different part of my brain to play with.
1: Yeah, which I think you need to be kept busy. You're you're like a cat that needs a lot of toys. Yeah, totally. Or a dog. <laughs> or Loyal a dog. like a dog. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Like a dog. All right. Now, this is a this is a topic that kind of I have my own very strong opinions about. But would you consider yourself a small business owner or an entrepreneur? And why?
0: I think I'm an entrepreneur running a small business. But I, I am an entrepreneur, definitely. And and I know that that's like one of those words that's gotten like really buzzy and like everybody thinks they're an entrepreneur to a certain extent. And maybe I'm one of those people, but I just don't think I am. I think that I exhibit every single trait of what the definition in a textbook of entrepreneur is.
1: And what would you classify that as?
0: I'm, I'm psychologically unemployable, for one. So I, <laughs> I am I am driven to work for myself by a deep. Deep compulsion that is—it's it, irreconcilable with the idea of having a job.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: um, so I'd say the, the first thing is whether I'm an entrepreneur or a small business owner. The one thing that's for certain is that I would—I am just terrible at working for other people, and I think I always will be. So there's that. So that—that's the first thing. The second thing is that I have a strong, again, almost compulsion to solve problems. To People tell me about a thing and my brain can't help but by the time they finish a sentence have four solutions um, that could potentially work. And, and not necessarily just in social media, but just I solve problems. Um, so that would be the second thing. I'd say the third thing is that I am constantly looking for new businesses to start. Now, I haven't been able to like start them, build them, sell them. But I think that if I were to have some financial backing and a couple partners who were really good at managing a task list – I think I'd be a multimillionaire at this point, but I think I exhibit all the traits of those people that start companies, uh, build them successfully, exit them just without, without something. But I I have all of the same motivations and reasons why I do it. And and I'd say, I guess the final thing is that um, I don't, I don't work because I'm trying to make money. I think I will make money in, Doing my work. And maybe that's why I don't make as much money as I could, but my reason for working is something more meaningful. It always is. It it has never been about the money, it's always been about the legacy, the prestige, the impact on the world, um, some deeper, bigger, heavier meaning. And I think when you combine all of those things together, I think it'd be hard to make the case that I'm just a small business owner. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I, I think that I am a textbook example of an entrepreneur.
1: Yes, I, I absolutely agree with you on that <laughs> for as long as I've known you. Yeah. So if you weren't doing what you're doing, if you didn't have the agency right now mm-hmm. um, and could willingly go and do something else unrelated to the industry, what would it be?
0: Unrelated to, to, just, to this industry? To just,
1: to just social, yeah.
0: Um. It's a good question. It's a really good question. I, I do know that if I didn't have the agency at this point, I would stop trying to build a company and I would start trying to build me. So I would very much have a lot of projects, but they would all be under the umbrella of Jeff Gibbard rather than of True Voice Media. So I would definitely be more of a content producer. I'd spend a lot of my time trying to create content and build myself into a brand that people that draws enough of an audience that I could monetize it and survive and sustain off of that. So that's the first thing. But if I had to pick an area that I would go into there, there are really two that I would go into. The first would be um, uh, online dating because that's a side business I've been working on and I'm really good at it. And it's really satisfying to help people understand how to go about dating and the the early stages of courtship, interpreting what the other side means. Um, I think I'm, I'm fortunate in the sense that I am a man, but as I'm a man that has been friends with women my entire life, so, um, so I'm more comfortable with women than I am men. I have, by leaps and bounds and heavy numbers more, had more female friends than men in my life. I've had hours upon hours more conversations with women in my life than men. So I, I innately understand a lot of the motivations behind women better than most other men will. And I think that puts me in a unique position to be able to help the two sides communicate to find what they're looking for. And also... Because I was, um, you know, I've been divorced and I'm now in a fantastic relationship and I'm a child divorce. I have a lot of thoughts on um, being in a rush versus taking it slowly, understanding who you are and what you want in your life and all those sort of things. So so the first one would be dating and relationships. The other one would be probably leadership or um, leadership or it's kind of like a, an overlap of a couple things, but it's leadership. And I think there's like another thing that I'm just calling like captivating like how to own a room and and be unforgettable i think i would train people to be unforgettable really yeah
1: i'm sure somehow that probably does dovetail in with the, the digital dating because yeah they,
0: they all overlap honestly like it's all about the psychology of how human beings uh, interact with each other how they remember each other how they relate to one another influence persuasion all of those things are all kind of bundled together and there's just a lot of different places I can go to work with it. But the, I, I think the kind of through line is everything that I go after is something that I think I naturally do pretty well. And then I try to codify it and explain it to people in a way that's simple.
1: Hmm. Agreed. Agreed. I'm just, I can't believe the whole, di- you are like the digital dating Sherpa or something. <laughs> you
0: know, it's funny. I was, I was actually just talking about this with someone recently. Um, might have even been on my last podcast, but I, a lot more people recently know me as like a dating guru than a social media guru. Now, mind you, I don't apply guru to myself ever, but that's how that's what people introduce me as. Oh, he's a dating guru. And I was like, actually, I have an agency that I've been running for six years, <laughs> but, but that's how they introduced me. And it's because I have a number of friends that have, you know, asked for advice. They're single. And they're like, I just, I hate these dating apps. And basically, and, and you'll love this, my, the premise of my online dating is that online dating is online marketing. So I'm literally just taking everything that I learned as an online marketer and I brought it over to online dating and I just applied the same principles. It's marketing and sales.
1: Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, I predate my my relationship with my husband predates online dating. So that that whole idea of it is absolutely horrifying to me. <laughs> Horrifying, absolutely horrifying. But I can see the sim- similarities between marketing yourself and this, the whole idea of stage presence of relatability and that whole, you know, the presence and the, the the attraction that you have to generate about yourself, either for your company, for your brand, for yourself as a prospect for dating. I mean, it just seems very much at the core of what you are and who you are. So that makes sense to me that those would be your other things that you'd be interested in. Yeah.
0: It's all about persuasion and attention, really.
1: All right. So the last thing I'm going to ask you is, so you are obviously an, an early adopter of technology and kind of like the next generation business Uh, uh, you know, of the future, so to speak. So where was it along the line that, you know, all of these wheels were spinning and you were the one, I should say, dragging the wheel behind you, like getting it, moving everything forward. Where did you decide that social business was going to be your thing? Because you're, and I know a lot of people and you were like one of the very first that kind of said social business, and this is what it's about, and this is how it can help you. And this is why you should be paying attention to it. What was it about that that made you kind of pick up that road?
0: I'm so glad you asked this because no one's ever asked me that in that exact way. And, and I'm so happy to get to answer this exactly like this. Um, I, and, and it really dovetails into like uh, one of the previous questions you asked about small business versus entrepreneur. I, um, I hated working for people. Like I, I hated business. I hated the, the pursuit of profit at the expense of people. Like I just, I hated the world that I saw that was so greedy and unconcerned and not that the world is this. It's like it's black and white, but I saw a lot of this way of doing things that it's not personal. It's just business. Like, you know, I grew up in the 80s where, you know, layoffs became a thing. Like it used to be like you work for 50 years for your gold watch or whatever. And then like the whole thing came apart at the seams and the wealth divide increased and, and all of these things. And mind you, I'm a child through most of this, so I only understand it briefly and in retrospect, but... I saw when social came out, I was in business school at the time, so I'm in class with people who are finance and accounting, and I'm trying to get my MBA, and I'm just this creative kid who wanted to be a chef and make pretty things and make movies and be a professional basketball player and likes comics. So like, I'm like a fish out of water in business school, and I see these people who are just heartlessly talking about selling companies. like, like It doesn't matter who works there or how it impacts them, that it's just money, Right. And when, when I saw that social was becoming a thing, the first thing that occurred to me is that we finally have an opportunity to do it better. And that the technology almost requires us to do it because there are elements of it that are uncontrolled. You can't control what people go out and say online. You have the ability to go out and see what they say, and no longer can you send a cease and desist letter or letter, <laughs> or can you, you know, say, Well, I didn't pay to have that printed in the New York Times. It, it was like, it was a fundamental shift. And to me, that was just so exciting because it meant that there were gonna be a, di- a couple different types of businesses. There was gonna be the ones that actively fought against it and were just kind of like, this doesn't matter. And they were disrupted and, and pulled apart at the seams for one reason or another. And that hasn't happened as much as I think I would have liked to have seen. But then there's the ones that embrace it and say, you know what, we're in an environment now where people can talk to one another. And we can capitalize on this, like the way Zappos decided to just provide the most amazing customer service ever, and people just talked about it, and it spread like wildfire through the social channels. That like Zappos has great customer service, um, things like that. I I just I saw I saw that that was going to happen. I didn't know how, and I knew that this technology was going to disrupt governments and businesses, and even just how we as human beings. Uh, how we talked. So so the natural kind of progression of that was that, okay, so I saw this big thing and then the first conversation that came up was marketing. Okay, so businesses can use this to market. And I began thinking like, okay, but but doesn't it work elsewhere? Like where else could it work? And I started looking at the entire business and thinking are there other areas of the business that could benefit from being more open and collaborative and connected? And what I basically saw in, in what I theorize is that yes, it's literally every part of the business has something that they can benefit from this new modality of communication. So that's why I got so bullish on it, so excited about it. The problem that I have is that I saw all of this crystal clear. Like to me, it made perfect sense that this is how to do it, this is why to do it, this makes a better world, employees are happier, customers are happier, the company benefits at the bottom line and also has less turnover and happier customers like win-win-win all around. But it didn't, it didn't happen. It didn't like to me, it just was like, well, it was like free money. Like it was just sitting there and like, why is nobody capitalizing on this? But it just didn't happen. So I've been kind of beating that drum for a while and I keep arriving at this mental crossroads of do I abandon it and assume that it was the lost cause or do I wait a little longer and hope that people catch up to it? I don't know. But that's ultimately where it started for me was that I saw it clear as day and I saw so many benefits for doing it. And yeah, of course there's downside to it, but I saw the downside as kind of like, it's just part, it, it was kind of the conversation that you and I had when you were my guest where we talked about, you know, when you open it up and give everybody a voice, there's a certain downside to that. Well, there's a certain downside to it for companies that they lose all this control and that. You know, they they have to spend some money on these things that they didn't understand. They're they're probably going to waste some money. But the long term of it I saw as being one of the best things that could happen to business and could actually destroy some of those power structures that reduce people to numbers and instead gave them a voice.
1: Huh. No kidding. So he's pictured from what you were, you know, you and your agency and and the type of clients, even though they're in vastly different industries, is very much focused on that like triple bottom line type mentality. But now for the digital age, it's not, you know, just employees environment, you know, and... uh, Profits. I think those are the triple, I used to remember. it. Yeah. It's the B Corp thing, right? Yeah. 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 Um, but you know, now it's like, this is evolved and this is what you're focusing on, which uh, I, I for one hope you don't, I'm glad you're sticking with it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's a matter of like how I'm framing it. Like I'm trying, because what happens is I tell people, you know, I own a social business agency and they go, Oh, what's that? Like a social media agency. And I'm like, uh, uh, because it feels a little bit like, you know, the, the classic social media douchebag, you know, like, I don't want to yeah. get trapped in a conversation about, you know, joining the conversation and engagement. And, and again, all those things are important, but I don't want to just be seen as the social media guy that runs your Facebook account. I've always wanted to have them think bigger about where their company could go by embracing this.
1: Yeah. It's the social the tool, not the tactic. Exactly. Yeah. Or, yeah. Very cool. Well, as always, I love chatting with you. Um, And um, so we're going to wrap up this version of Shareable right now. I'm so glad that I was able to be the host for Shareable. So Jeff, if people want to talk to you, catch up with you, subscribe to your Shareable podcast, where can they reach you? They
0: can check out the show at shareablepodcast.com. We have links to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Overcast. Um, Overcast being probably where our strongest and most loyal fan base is. Um, And for me, hit me on Twitter, at Jay Gibbard. All that stuff goes in the show notes. And uh, you can always email me or the producer, Caroline, through the show notes. Uh, Lynette, thank you so much for having me on Shareable. You were a phenomenal host, and it is wonderful to talk to you as always.
1: As always, and if you ever need other hosts, and you could just tell them, forget it, I'll do it all the time.
0: Nice, I'll just have you. You're like my, you're my backup, you're my substitute. I'm like tagging you in, like like uh, yeah, tag team worldwide wrestling,
1: like Wonder Twins.
0: Nice, thank you all for listening. This episode has been very shareable. That was so much fun. I can't even believe the guests that we get. I mean, can you believe the guests that we get?
1: I can actually. I schedule them.
0: Awesome. Well done. Well, this episode for me was an absolute blast, and I hope everyone listening really enjoyed it. But now that we're in this fun little outro, what should people do next?
1: Hmm. I think they should check us out on iTunes.
0: Definitely go check us out on iTunes. And when you get there, subscribe, drop us a review, and then... What's that one last thing we want them to do? I don't know. Share the episode.
1: Oh, that's right. That's
0: right. It's in the name. So... Please share this episode, tell everyone you know, and we'll see you on the next episode of Shareable.
1: Bye.